0: In the beginning, God created man. Hello. Then he saw that man was lonely, so he created woman. Oh, man. And the two were united in one flesh, and it was good. And then it went very, very bad. This is your fault. This is your fault. And ever since, man and woman have found all kinds of creative ways to mess up this holy institution. This is your fault. This is your fault. Join us as we look at marriages throughout the Bible and learn a thing or two about the marriages of today in Once Upon a Marriage. Well, good morning. Take out your Bibles, your mobile devices this morning, whichever you choose to use, turn to Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29 will begin in verse 16 today. It's on page 12, if you're using one of the Bibles you may have picked up when you came in at the door. We're continuing our summer series called Greatest Hits. Uh, we're going back and pulling out some of the favorite messages that you guys have talked about over the last several years, and we're doing them again. Uh, this is, these two weeks, uh, this week and next week, we're doing two weeks on marriage. It's from a series we did called Once Upon a Marriage, probably one of the most requested messages that we've done here at Orchard Church, so I'm excited to do these again. For some of you, you'll hear them for the second time. For some of you, many of you, you'll be hearing these for the first time. And so as we talk about marriage, let's have a little audience participation. Help me out this morning. Let me hear from the ladies. Got any ladies in the house today? Let me hear you ladies. All right. Ladies, now be honest. I want to ask you, how many of you, as you were growing up, you dreamed of the perfect wedding, the perfect marriage? You'd already named your kids before you were 16. You knew what your house was going to look like. Raise your hand. You dreamed of that, ladies? Okay. All right. A lot of ladies. Yeah. Men, how many of you, when you dreamed of your perfect marriage, you dreamed of being intimate with your your wife, every day, two, di- two times on Sunday, you dreamed about that, men? Okay, men are like afraid to raise their hand. How many of you, men and women, are still dreaming those dreams today? You're still dreaming about some of those things today. And the reason is because the reality that we face is there's all these expectations that we have going into marriage, and these expectations can be very confusing. You know, we grow up thinking, I'm going to meet my Prince Charming, I'm going to meet my princess, you know, we're going to have a White House, picket fence, the average 2.5 kids, and a dog. Notice I said a dog, not a cat, you know, okay? All right, some of you love me, some of you hate me for that statement, okay? And you know, and you, and when you have these expectations, we're going to live happily ever after. But we know the reality today is... There's not a lot of marriages living happily ever after today. A lot of marriages find themselves dissatisfied, unfulfilled. And I want us to talk about that today. And why is that? Why are so many marriages? Dissatisfied today, and I, and I want to say I know we're talking about marriage this week and next week, but this week and next week's message apply really to everybody. And whether you're married or not, you know if you're a teenager, if you're single, or you're single again, th- this these truths apply to all of us. We're particularly going to focus on marriage, but we can all get something from this. And uh, we're going to be looking at a story in Genesis chapter 29. Some of you may know this story; some of you may not. So let me give you a little bit of background. This is the story of a man named Jacob and Leah and another woman named Rachel. So there's a husband and two wives in this story. So you know it's going to be an interesting story. It's got a lot of weird twists and turns. It's kinda like the first episode of Sister Wives in the Bible. Some of you have seen that show, the guy that's got several wives. And Jacob, as we're gonna find him in this story, as we jump into Genesis 29, Jacob is kinda out on his own now. And, And he's looking for his way through life. He's looking for purpose, he's looking for fulfillment, he's looking for satisfaction. And so Jacob is traveling along and he comes to this and he, this well. And, and he, he comes to this well and this girl shows up at the well to water her flock, her, her sheep. And he sees this girl and he's like, Wow, she is gorgeous, she is drop dead, you know, beautiful. He's like, I would love to have that girl as my wife. If if I could just have her, I would be fulfilled, I would have purpose, I would have meaning, I know I'd be satisfied with that girl. Now, what some of you may know and some of you I want to tell you about in this story is this girl, her name is Rachel. She's the daughter of a man named Laban. Laban is Jacob's uncle, which means that Jacob and Rachel are what? They're cousins. So obviously this story is taking place in the backwoods of Arkansas because Jacob wants to marry his cousin, Rachel. Rachel. But what's really happening as you look at this story is Jacob thinks he's found the one. He has found the one that's going to bring purpose and fulfillment in his life in this girl named Rachel. And if we read into this story just a little bit, and I think it's fair that we could do this, if you know a little bit of history of Jacob and his family, Jacob really never had the love of his father. He kind of lost the love of his mother. And he's now he's looking for something to fulfill him, like a lot of people today. And he thinks Rachel is the one. And Jacob probably thought, if I can just get married, it'll fill this emptiness and unsatisfaction that I have inside of me. And we see this happen all the time. Maybe growing up, do you remember the girl that used to always have to have a boyfriend and she would go from boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend or the guy that always had to have a girlfriend to feel cool and feel macho or maybe it's a single person today, you know, that their life is not really gonna begin until they get married and their biological clock is ticking and they're on match.com all the time and I've just got to get married so I can be happy and fulfilled. Or maybe it's the middle-aged man that's been married 20, 25 years Got a great wife, godly wife, children, but now he's a little overweight, losing his hair. He's not feeling quite as macho. So he thinks, if I get another woman, a new woman, a younger woman, that'll satisfy me. That'll fulfill me. That'll make me feel a little bit better about myself. And the problem that Jacob has and a lot of people have is thinking that if I just had that marriage or if I just had that person or that thing, it would fill the emptiness that I have inside of me. That's the context of what's going on here as we jump into the story and probably how Jacob felt. Let's pick it up in Genesis chapter 29, verse 16. And this is a very interesting story. Watch what happens. Now, Laban, this is Jacob's uncle, had two daughters. The name of the elder, the oldest daughter, was named what church? Leah. Everybody say Leah. Her name was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Everybody say Rachel. So we got Leah and Rachel. Leah being the older and Rachel being the younger, and that's the one that Jacob meets at the well. Verse 17 describes these two sisters. Leah the older's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance and was a real hottie. That's in the original Hebrew language if you go study that out. And most scholars agree that when they said that Leah the older sister was delicate of eyes, that was a very nice and polite way of saying She wasn't very pretty. We would say today, she's a really nice girl. But now Rachel was drop-dead gorgeous, is how the Bible describes her. Now I want you guys to so grasp this story and what's going on, I want to take you back in time that I went to great lengths to reconstruct the Hebrew language to figure out what would these two look like today today. What would Leah look like today and what would Rachel look like today? So this is my best reconstruction of what Leah would look like today. That right there was probably the older sister Leah. And this is what Rachel, the younger sister, would probably look like today. I am a smart pastor. That is my wife, Shelly. You say, oh, you're just trying to get some brownie points. Yes, I am. (laughs) Plan to cash those in later. And so obviously, Jacob here, he's very attracted to Rachel, but he's not attracted to Leah. He hasn't even seen her yet. You know, he sees Rachel come to this well. And I think it's important as we, we think about the opposite sex that we don't undervalue or overvalue physical attraction. I mean, God, I believe, has designed for us to be physically attracted to our spouse. There's nothing wrong with that. But we gotta be careful that we don't overvalue physical attraction to the point that that's all we're attracted to is what's on the outside and not what is on the inside. And in this story, Jacob appears to be overvaluing physical attraction, and he's only focused on Rachel, who's this real hottie. And he's like, I wanna have her. Now, some of you will read ahead in verse 18. It says, now, Jacob, what, loved Rachel? And you go, well, yeah, but he loved her. Well, I did do a word study on this, and in the Hebrew, the word love here comes from the word ahab, A H A B, and it means to have affection for sexually. So the question was it really love or was it lust? I think we can make the case. I mean, he just sees her for the first time at the well, and I think that he's more like, wow, she's drop-dead gorgeous, and he was more lusting after her than truly, genuinely loving her, and what he was looking for was satisfaction, to satisfy himself. He's lonely. He wants this girl. He's empty, and he's like, if I can just marry this one, Rachel, and I can have her, my life will finally matter. I will have arrived, and I'll be satisfied. And this is the problem for a lot of people today, for too many people today, the belief that marriage is the answer to meeting all of our needs is the very reason why so many people today are not living happily ever after, thinking that marriage is the answer to all of our deepest needs of fulfillment, and they're missing out on God's best design for them. That's what's going on in the story And with that context in mind, I want to share with you today three problems when we wrongly believe that marriage is our answer for ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction in life. Three problems. You have them in your notes. Number one, when you believe marriage is your ultimate answer to satisfaction and fulfillment, you compromise more than you should. You compromise more than you should. You're willing to give up things that are important to you or important to God to pursue the one person or thing that you think will satisfy you. That's what happens in the story. Look at verse 18 through 20. Now, Jacob loved Rachel, usually using the word love there. So he said to his uncle Laban, I will serve you, how long, church? Seven years. And for Rachel, your younger daughter, I won't serve you a day for Leah, but I'll serve seven years for Rachel. And Laban, the uncle, said, hmm, well, it's better I give her to you than I should give her to another man that I don't know anything about. So stay with me. He agrees to this. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, but they seemed only a few days to him because of his love that he had for her. Now this may seem offensive or romantic to you depending on how you understand this story. You might be offended and think, well, you know, why has he got to work seven years you know, to earn her in that way? Or you might think, oh, how romantic. He was willing to give seven years of his life for this girl that he loved so much you have to understand something about the Jewish culture. In the Jewish culture during this time, it was very normal and expected that if you wanted to marry a girl, you had to pay a dowry, what's called a dowry, to the the father of the girl. I'm planning on instituting that with my daughter one day. I'm going to raise the price really high. And so what was normal was you would either give some money or you'd give some livestock or maybe you would actually serve in the house for a period of time. But what was normal, if you were going to serve for the hand of the daughter, you would serve for about a year, maybe two at the very most. But you notice what is happening here. How long is Jacob willing to serve for Rachel? Not one year, not two years, seven years. This isn't romantic. This is insane. This is crazy. He's willing to serve four times the normal amount. You say, well, because she was a real hottie. No, no. It's because he's like, I'll do anything to have that girl to meet my needs and to fulfill me. He saw her, he wanted her, he had to have her, and he was willing to compromise what was normal to try to meet his needs. We see this happen all the time. Christian girl, you know, wants to be pure, save her body for marriage, but she really wants to have that guy, so she'll trade her body for his supposed love. I've said this before, that girls play at sex to get love, guys play at love to get sex. Compromise. Or you have the guy who's a Christian guy. He knows that God wants him to find a Christian girl, as the scripture says. We'll look at that in just a moment. But he meets this girl. She's really cute. She's really nice. He loves being with her. And he's like, well, I'll go ahead and date her, and I'll marry her, and then I'll convert her to become a Christian. We call that the flirt and convert method. <laughs> or also known as missionary dating. Dating. Now, every once in a while, it works out. But I could bring you plenty of couples up here that tell you that it didn't work out. And spiritually, it's been a struggle in that marriage, all of their marriage, where one wants to serve God, one wants to go to church, one wants to follow God, and one doesn't want to have anything to do with God. And when you bring children in the picture, it becomes even that much more difficult because of compromise. Paul said in 2 Corinthians six fourteen, do not be unequally yoked together with who? unbelievers unbelievers this isn't you know something we made up as pastors or as a church it's something God said and so Jacob in the story is willing to compromise to get what he wants to fulfill him to satisfy him he's willing to give seven years two times the normal amount so when you believe that marriage is your answer to fulfillment and satisfaction you're willing to compromise more than you should Number two, when you believe that marriage is your answer to fulfillment and satisfaction, you tend to become demanding. You tend to become very demanding. Now, after Jacob agrees and he works the seven years for Rachel, look at what happens in verse 21. He's done his seven years. He's done his time. Then Jacob said to his uncle Laban, watch this, give me my wife for my days are fulfilled. I'm done that I may go in to her. Do you see how demanding this is? Jacob's like, I did my part. Now it's time for her to do her part. It's time for me to get what I came here to get in the first place. Bring her here. Bring her over. I mean, you see how shallow this is? How demanding this is? This is not polite. Uh, this is not honoring. Uh, this is not tender. This is dishonoring to the uncle, to the father, Laban. It's, it's dishonoring to Rachel. It seems like he only wants her for sexual fulfillment, And this happens in marriages today. When we think marriage is our answer to fulfillment and satisfaction, we become very demanding of our spouse. Meet my needs. And what happens in so many marriages is marriage becomes more of a contract than a covenant. You know, a contract says, I deliver this and you deliver this. I did my part, you do your part. A covenant that you see in the Bible of marriage, is seeking to meet the needs of the other person in a loving relationship. Not for what you can get from them, but what you can do and give back to them. And when we enter into marriage with this idea that it's more of a contract to meet our needs and fulfill us than a covenant, when this happens in marriage, our expectations of each other rises and our dissatisfaction ensues because our spouse never lives up to our expectations. Because they can't. God didn't design it that way. And so when we have this contract in marriage, you know, we have all these demands and we see them play out in our marriages in different ways. Maybe it plays out in intimacy. Well, I'll be intimate if you do this. Well, I'll let you buy this if you let me buy this. I'll let you have this hobby if you let me have that hobby. You know, if you do this chore, I'll do that chore. And we play this little chess game back and forth. You move, then I move. You know, people say marriage is 50-50. Is that true, church? No, marriage is 100-100 trying to meet the needs of the other person. Now, let me be very specific and hit home uh, how this works out. First, let me talk to the women, and then I'll talk to the men. Uh, Ladies, hang in there. Don't get mad at me. We're equal opportunity offenders here at Orchard Church. (laughs) Women, here's how this happens a lot, Uh, wives. You have all these expectations for your husbands, that you have for us. And there's things that you expect us to do and that you want us to do, and you get frustrated when we don't do those things. And then when we ask, you get even more frustrated. You know why? Because you're like, you should know what I expect of you. Is that true, ladies? Say yes. Can I help you out, though? You need to tell us, we don't know. We, we guess a lot of times, we forget a lot of times, you just got to tell us and don't get frustrated about that because that's just kind of how we are. I know that sounds like an excuse, but it's true. And men, when it comes to expectations, you know, that we have for, for our wives, we have a lot of families today where both husband and wife work, you know, outside of the home and they have jobs. You know, don't come home if you work outside the home and she works outside the home and be like, you know, why is this house always a mess? Why is it not picked up? You know, why are the kids not taken care of? Where's my dinner? You know, what have you been doing all day? I've been working like you've been working. And then we have those, what I consider my heroes, the stay-at-home moms that work at home I only made this mistake one time in my life. I asked I ask a lady one time, I said, so um, do, you, do you work or do you just stay home? I only made that mistake one time, <laughs> yes. I've learned now, I say, do you work outside the home?" Because I've seen the work that a mom does at home. Uh, Shelley has been a stay-at-home mom almost our entire marriage, and I've seen that job. I think that's one of the hardest, most difficult jobs in the world. I've seen that job. I don't want that job. And so I know how hard she works. And a Forbes magazine just did an article, four most difficult jobs in America, and then the top four was a stay-at-home mom. And so if you have a stay-at-home you know, wife that's working to take care of the kids, men, don't come home and be like, You know, why is this place a mess? Why is the food not ready? What's going on here? You know, what have you been doing all day? You know, it must be nice to just be on vacation all the time. She will kill you in the name of Jesus right there (laughs) and tell God you died. (laughs) we got to be careful with our demanding expectations. But even if we're honest, even in good Christian marriages, it's easy to fall into this Well, I'll do my part if you do your part, isn't it? We play this little game and we become very demanding of each other. And this happens when we go into marriage believing that marriage is our answer to fulfillment and satisfaction and all of our needs being met. And when that happens, you compromise more than you should and you become very demanding of your spouse to meet your needs, Let me give you the third one. When you believe marriage is your answer to meet all your needs, you'll always end up dissatisfied. When you believe marriage is your answer to fulfillment and meeting all your needs, you will end up dissatisfied. See, this is the problem. Too many people enter marriage with so many expectations that there's no way humanly possible that one human being can ever fulfill all those expectations. And we're guaranteeing failure for our spouse and for ourselves and we're guaranteeing dissatisfaction. This is exactly what happened in Jacob's story. He's demanding and wanting Rachel. He's done his seven years. Now he's expecting, I'm finally gonna get what I came here for to satisfy me. And this story takes a very interesting twist. Look at verse 22. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. It was traditional that when there was gonna be a marriage, there would be a seven-day party leading up to the marriage. There would be eating, there would be drinking, there would be alcohol, there would be wine. Seven day long party. And now it's time for the marriage and the consummation of the marriage to take place. Needless to say, Jacob has probably had a few too many. And and Uncle Laban is going to take advantage of his condition. And it says in verse 23, now it came to pass in the evening, it's at night, it's dark, he's a little toasted, Jacob is. That he took... What's the next word, church? Leah. Who did he work for seven years? Who's expecting? He's expecting Rachel. He's about to get Leah, his daughter. And he brought her to Jacob. And he went in to her. And the marriage was consummated. And Laban gave his maid, Zilpah, to his daughter, Leah, as a maid. Verse 25, so it came to pass in the morning when Jacob woke up that, behold, it was... Leah, and he said to Laban, his uncle, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, well, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. And Jacob's like, now you tell me. You know, probably what happened here is is Uncle Laban thought, you know, I'll go ahead and agree to this, that I'll give Rachel, even though she's the younger, I'll go ahead and agree because I got seven years to find somebody for Leah. Surely in seven years, I'll find somebody, but it's Leah. Nobody wants Leah, so he has to trick... Jacob into consummating the marriage with Leah instead of Rachel it's at night it's dark there's been a seven-day party he's probably been drinking he puts her you know gown on a big veil on her face he doesn't really know who it is he can't really see really well we would say today he had his beer goggles on some of you get that you know you know they, what they say there's there's no ugly people at closing time this story hits a little too close to home for some of you I'm afraid And when he wakes up in the morning, he's like, whoa, wait a minute. This is not what I came here for. This is not what I was expecting. This will not satisfy me. This will not fulfill me. Uncle Laban, this is not fair. I am not satisfied. I am unfulfilled. My expectations have not been met. Here's the bottom line, when you think that marriage is your ultimate answer to fulfillment and satisfaction, you're going to think that you're going to bed with Rachel, but you're going to wake up with Leah. Dissatisfied, unfulfilled. You know why, church? Because no one person can meet all of your deepest needs. That is reserved only for one person, and that is God. We're gonna talk about that in just a moment. It appears that Leah is also making the same mistake as Jacob because she just goes right along with it. She's like, ooh, this is my chance to finally get a guy. So I'll trick him. And she's thinking, you know, maybe if I lie with him, if I have sexual relations with him, if he gets to know me over time, maybe he'll accept me, maybe he'll love me. And she's trying to please him and satisfy him and making the same mistake that Jacob is. And we know this because look at what happens in verse 31 through 34. Look at her attitude. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Rachel wasn't able to have children, but Leah was. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. What was her affliction? The fact that she had a husband that didn't love her. Now watch this. Now therefore, my husband will love me. Maybe now because I was able to give him a child, give him what Rachel Couldn't? Now maybe he'll love me. She's trying to earn his love, trying to meet his needs. And verse 33, then she conceived again and bore another son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. He has therefore given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. And then she has a third son. She Verse 34, she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have bore him three sons. Now. Therefore, his name is called Levi. Now maybe he'll love me. I'll give him more children. I've given one son, two sons, three sons. Now maybe he'll accept me. Now maybe he'll love me. Now maybe he'll be attached to me. I've given him children. You know, I'm trying to give him more money. I'm giving him the lifestyle. I'm having the surgery. I'm doing everything to try to meet his needs so he'll love me. And what you have here in the story is what we have today. People focused on people trying to meet each other's needs. My spiritual mentor growing up used to always say this, and I've never forgotten this imagery about marriage. He said, most marriages begin as two ticks and no dog. I'll let you think about that for a moment. Most marriages begin as two ticks and no dog, sucking the life out of each other, trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction and ending up dissatisfied. It's true, isn't it? see it all the time. Now, let's think about, let's put these puzzle pieces together for a moment and how this applies in many ways to us. Let's pause here and let's ask some questions. What's missing in this story? There's, there's no evidence of prayers. Nobody's praying about any of these decisions. Jacob didn't pray about anything. Laban didn't pray about anything. Uh, you know, Rachel, no, nobody's praying about this. Nobody's seeking God. Nobody's stepping out in faith. There's no spiritual connection that we read about between Jacob and Rachel or Jacob and Leah or any of that. It's just people doing what they think is best. And as far as we can see, it's all based on what I want from you to do for me. And they're searching. Here's what's going on in the story. It's what happens today. They're searching for the one. The problem is they're searching for the wrong one. You know, we're taught Growing up, we hear this all the time. You have this in your notes. To really be fulfilled in life, you have to find what? The one. You gotta find the one. Mr. Right, Mrs. Right, that one that will fulfill you and make you happy. You know, we're attracted to them. We like being with them. We have the same goals and we say, hey, maybe I found the one. I found the one. But biblically, The better thing to say is, you know what, I'm a Christian, they're a Christian, we have a spiritual connection, we have the same goals, we want to serve God together, we want to glorify God, God together. I think I may have just met my two. You see, to really find fulfillment in life, you have to find the one. God is your one and your spouse is your two. Now some of you immediately agree with that and others of you like, well, well I gotta think about that because that s- is so different than what society tells us. Do we have to find the one? Absolutely. But the one is God. And then our spouse can be our two and when we try to take God out of the equation and make any other person or any other thing one, we will end up dissatisfied and unfulfilled. Shelly and I have been married 21 years. it be 22 years uh, this Christmas, day after Christmas. Um, we have a wonderful marriage. I'd love to tell you it's perfect. There are no perfect marriages because there are no perfect people, but we have a wonderful marriage, wonderful kids, wonderful fa- family. I wouldn't trade her for anything. She's, she honestly is one of the most godly women I have ever known, and she happens to be my wife, the mother of our children. And as, and as incredible as she is, she's a wonderful wife, she's an amazing mother, but she is not a good God. And she would tell you that. And you know what? She'd be the first to tell you, I'm not a good God in her life. I can't be. I'm not supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be one. She's not supposed to be one. God is supposed to be our one. And then we can have each other as two. This is seen throughout scripture. Let me remind you of some of the scriptures that that back this up. Matthew chapter 19, verse five. Listen to what Jesus said. For this reason, he's talking about the context of marriage. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they're one flesh. Therefore, what, say the next word, God has joined together. Let not man separate. You see, marriage is really not biblically it's supposed to be about two people it's supposed to be about three people it's just like the trinity god the father son and the spirit in marriage it's god and the husband and the wife And God is to be the one of the husband and the one of the wife. And then the two, as they grow closer to the one, they grow closer to each other. I like to illustrate it like a triangle. We'll put this on the screen. It's like God is the center of our marriage. He brings it together. The husband focuses on his one God. The wife focuses on her one God. And as they grow closer to God, guess what happens? They grow closer to each other. But if you try to cut God out of that equation and just try to meet the needs of each other or try to get your needs met and, and God's not part of it, you'll always end up dissatisfied and unfulfilled. But when God is your one, God fills you, God satisfies you, and then you're easily, you're able to overflow that to your spouse. So to be fulfilled and satisfied, you've gotta meet the one, and God is the one. Here's another way Jesus says it in Mark twelve thirty: and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind, with all your strength. What is that saying in that verse? Make God your, your number one love. God has gotta be number one. And then everything else can be number two. Your spouse can be two. Your kids can be two. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, 33. We don't think about this in the context of marriage, but it certainly applies. What did Jesus say? But seek first, what? The kingdom of God. Make God your one and his righteousness, being right with him, and then all these things shall be added to you. It's amazing what happens in marriages when God is put first, how everything else tends to work out. Is it perfect? No, but as God is working in and through each individual life, he works in and through the marriage, as you seek first God and his kingdom, and then all these things are added to you. So to have the kind of marriage God wants you to have, and I to have, you have to find the one, and God is the one. See, here's the problem. The reason why so many marriages are saying, if only I did this or I did that, they would love me, kind of like Leah said. Why am I so dissatisfied? It's because God is not truly the one. And this happens even in Christian marriages. We say God is the one, but is he really? Is he really? Do we really put him first place in our life, seeking him first? God is your one, your spouse is your two. As we wrap this up this morning, this is a complex story. We don't have time to go into all the details. But back in verse 27 to 30, after you know, Jacob is tricked by Uncle Laban and he gets Leah instead of Rachel, he says, yeah, but I came here for Rachel. And he's like, well, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna go ahead and let you marry Rachel, but you're gonna have to give me another seven years. So he works another seven years for Rachel. So now he's got two wives and you can imagine the difficulties there. And is continuing to try to win his You know, love and affection and satisfaction. She's only focused on trying to please Jacob, and it's not working. And then she has a fourth son. And something really interesting happens when she has her fourth son. Watch this in verse 35. And Leah, she conceived again, and she bore a son, and she said, Now I will praise the Lord. Notice all their times she had a son. She goes, now maybe Jacob will love me. Now maybe Jacob will be attached to me. But on the fourth son, it changes. She says, now I'm going to praise the Lord. You know what she's saying? Now I'm just going to focus on my one. I'm going to focus on God. I'm going to focus on pleasing Him. That's more important to me. I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name what? Church, Judah, and she stopped bearing. She didn't have any other kids. Why did I point out that his name is Judah? Because the fourth son, Judah, was when everything changed and Leah said, now I'm gonna praise the Lord. I'm gonna focus on my one instead of just trying to please my husband. I'm gonna focus on my one God. Now I'm gonna praise the Lord and I'm gonna name this son Judah. Let me remind you that Judah, centuries later, it was through the line of Judah that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was born. This reminds us all that God, when God is involved, is our one. That even when things don't start out right in our lives and marriages, they can finish right when God is one. And it was through this story, and through Judah, that God brought one of the most amazing miracles in the history of the world that we got Jesus Christ when she started focusing on the Lord, her one. So married couples, if your marriage, here's the good news, if your marriage didn't start off right or it's not right today, I believe this with all my heart, if there are two focused on one, anything is possible. Things changed in this story when Leah decided to focus on the Lord, on her one. Do you believe that's still possible today, church? When there are two willing to focus on their one, anything... can. happen anything is possible miracles can still take place today when people focus on their one you got to find the one god is our one and then our spouse can be our two and that's true whether you're married or you're single or you're single again god has to be our one he's the only one that can fulfill and satisfy us he's the only one would you bow your heads with me this morning Heads about nice closed for just a moment If you're here today and you say, you know, our marriage is struggling. Our marriage isn't what we'd like it to be. Where where do I start if my marriage is is in trouble? I'm going to ask you to do something a little different today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around for a moment. If you're sitting next to your spouse, would you grab the hand of your spouse today, right now, and just either together or individually, would you say, God, would you teach us to make you our one? God, teach us to make you our one your spouse is not here God teach me to make you my one ask God to do that because to find true fulfillment you've got to find the one and God is the one maybe if you're honest today for some marriages here today you'd say you know what I've been too demanding and I realize now why I've been so demanding because I haven't been focusing on, on my one I've been focusing on this person to meet all my needs and I've looked at marriage more like a contract than a covenant if that's you today would you ask the Lord to help change your heart to seek God as your one to allow him to bring the ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction in your life to not be so demanding of any other person who cannot possibly meet your deepest needs like God can allow God to do that and let that overflow into your marriage and your other relationships if you're here today as a single person or single again you say what if I'm not, I'm not yet married or I want to be again, I hope you would pray this right now where you sit. God, lead me to be, lead me to look at you as my one. And, and, then, and then lead me to the right two. God, I want you to be number one in my life. And if you want me to have someone who's two, then you'll lead me that person. I don't want to get ahead of you. I don't want to try to make this happen. I don't want to manipulate things like Jacob. And I don't want to compromise. I'm going to make you one and I'm going to trust you in your timing, God. Single people, I hope you'll pray that to the Lord right now. And if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, maybe you've been searching for something to fulfill you, like Jacob. You're looking for fulfillment. You're looking for satisfaction. Maybe you've looked in a relationship. Maybe you've looked at possessions or positions or prosperity, and you're thinking, if I have this thing or this person, I'll be satisfied. It will be fulfilled. And you get those things, and you're still empty. It's because only God can fill the deepest needs of your life and your heart. There's a place in your life that's reserved only for him. I love what Psalm 81.10 says. It says, open your mouth wide, your life, and I will fill it. So if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's, that's where it begins. Inviting Jesus to be number one in your life. And if you've never done that, I, I wanna lead you in a prayer of faith right now that you can pray From your seat, from your heart to God's. It's not a magic prayer or magic words, but if you put belief and faith behind it, you can invite Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior right now. You can make Jesus number one in your life. And that prayer goes like this if you want to pray it with me Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on a cross for me to pay for my sins. Jesus, I want you to be number one in my life. I'm tired of being unfulfilled by others and other things Jesus be my Lord be my Savior I invite you into my life today thank you Jesus for loving and saving me thank you with heads bowed and eyes closed I don't want to embarrass anybody no one looking around but myself for just a moment if you just prayed that prayer of faith to invite Jesus to be Lord of your life for the first time I want to pray for you personally and your new journey with with Jesus as you grow in your relationship with him, would you just slip up your hand so I can see it real quick? Yes, I invited Jesus into my life. Thank you, God bless you. Anyone else? Just slip it up and put it down. I invited Jesus into my life today for the first time. I wanted to make him number one in my life. Thank you. Anyone else? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for those putting their faith and trust in you. I pray that they would truly allow you to be number one in their life. For those of us who have already made that decision, whether it was months ago or years ago, I pray that we would never forget that you are to be our one and then our spouse can be our two. That we would seek first your kingdom and and to be right with you and then all these other things will be added unto us. That we would not set other things and other people up for failure to try to meet our deepest needs that only you can meet. God, that we may love you with the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and strength. That you would truly be our, our one. And then that that relationship with you would overflow to our two, to our spouse. And we would have marriages that would be honoring and glorifying to you as we grow closer to you and we grow closer to each other. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate Decisions for Christ this morning? Amen. If, um, if you made a decision to receive Christ today, please let us know about that on your connection card. There's a box you can check. says, I accepted Christ um drop that on the offering bucket so we can continue to pray for you and also if you're a first-time guest thanks for being our guest here at orchard church uh we hope we've blessed you as much as you've blessed us with your presence today and if you filled out your connection card as a guest drop that in the offering bucket as well we'll receive our gifts in just a moment so we can uh, send you just a little thank you card and a gift in the mail um, we're gonna next sunday we're gonna do part two uh about marriage It's one of my favorite messages that I've ever done on marriage. I've had a lot of people request that I do this message again. I did it several years ago. It's about the story of Ahab and Jezebel. We're going to be dealing with the most common problem in marriages throughout history. It started in the garden. It's still happening today. And we're going to look at that. We're going to to go deal with that head on next Sunday it's going to surprise some of you what this common problem is but when when you hear it you're going to be like oh yes I see that and so you don't want to miss next week as we continue part two of Once Upon a Marriage all right let's close with a song of worship and worship through our giving today God bless you guys for being here